Okay, so I'm here today with uh, Matt Green, the Park Operations Manager of Presque Isle State Park, and Tim Bruno, who's the Chief of the Office of Great Lakes for the Office of, or for the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. And we wanted to talk with you guys today about uh, the lake levels, the water levels of the park that ha are on a lot of people's minds uh, this summer and as we head into the next year to see what might be happening. Um, so I was hoping um, someone could just kind of describe those levels, where they, are, where they fit in the historical context, um, and what contributes to them, whether it's climate change or other factors. Sure. I'll start off. Yeah. And, so, and this uh, is Tim. Um, you know, from a historical standpoint, we've been measuring uh, Lake Erie water levels for well over a century. Um, and, and looking at you know, the compendium of data for water levels during that period of time, the water levels naturally go up and go down annually, and then there's long-term cycles where they uh, have longer-term ups and downs. And so what we're seeing this year and have seen since June of 2015 okay. is that we're running at uh, monthly averages that are all-time highs. And so you know now in September 2019, we're currently about eight inches higher than the highest ever average for the month of September. That's extraordinary. How does that play out on the on the landscape? So from the park perspective, yeah. I mean, uh, what it does for us is it, it, it makes us think about infrastructure a lot more. With 4 million visitors annually that come to, to Prescott State Park, it really makes us think about how we get people to areas, how we keep people out of certain areas that may damage resources long term. Um, just this year, because of the extreme high water levels, we've had to close a couple of rentable facilities, the shelters in and around waterworks, just because the water was up past the door thresholds, um, just because of the extreme high water levels we see. So it really has us thinking about long term what we need to do, whether it's operationally or infrastructure wise, to be able to take into account some of these more extreme high water levels. And as Tim and I were talking earlier, when we do the swing back down to low water levels, will it be a normal low water level? Will it be an extreme low water level? Are we seeing right. broader extremes? And what does that mean for us long term in those facilities as well, like boat launches, marinas, those type of recreational facilities we have in the park? What does that planning look like? I mean, does it go into your your budgeting, your activity planning? I mean, well, that's a that's a that's a huge task to to take on. It is, and. Really, we have just uh, at DCNR, uh, DCNR has come up with the um, climate change adaptation mitigation okay. plan for the overall agency. Um, within that, state parks has come up with a broader, with a, with, a, with a more narrowed down, but state park specific plan as well. And now we're currently working on okay. the Prescott specific plan um, that's got us thinking about and looking at um, Water levels is a big one because everybody can see that this year. Right. You know, it's got everybody talking about that. It's got us thinking about those highs, but we're also on the flip side thinking, of, like I said, the lows. It's also got us thinking about um, species management on the park as well. We've been very cognizant for a long time on Presque Isle to make sure that um, the species that are here are historic species that have been here for hundreds of years, and 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 to keep anything that's not in those in that specific DNA strain of those species yeah. out where we're talking about climate change and we're talking about gradual warmings that are happening. We're having conversations that we've really kind of never had before 
about, okay, so can we maintain that management long term of some of those species because if we get that gradual warming we get other species range come into here it's just going to be unsustainable at some point so there's lots of i would say at this point there have been pretty high level kind of concept broad topic kind of things uh, that we're really starting to we will over the winter and into next spring narrow down into much more very specific operational and strategic um, uh, infrastructure things that will get roped into um, our facilities master planning long term. Okay. For is there any any idea yet how the the public might experience that or what they might see or is it is it too early to say? I would say it's pretty early in the process. Okay. For that. At some point there will be uh, kind of public engagement that goes on with okay. that because some of the stuff that we're that we'll, we'll end up talking about because of this adaptation mitigation planning is going to change some of the facilities on the park um, where we may have to, you know, routinely close down certain facilities certain times a year or certain facilities may look much different than they ever looked before because they potentially may need to be movable facilities, more transient facilities that can move around just because of high water levels or erosion, all those different things that kind of come with being on a 30... 200 acres recurving sand spit in Lake Erie, you know, and those types of things. Is, yeah. right. I mean, we tend to take it for granted and think, oh, it's it's just Presque Isle, but it's subject to a whole host of forces, right? Absolutely. Natural forces. High water being just one of them. Right. And that's where you see it more acutely um, mm-hmm. on the state park because of the exposure to the lake. But the conversations that are happening on the park and inside of DCNR are also happening among different other entities, other state entities, other local entities, okay. the county entities, and how we interact with this huge water resource that we have right off of our front doorstep. And, and that speaks to, you know, when we talk about how do we interact with that is resilience. You know, how can we plan better for the future so that our activities now don't contribute to problems in the future, whether water levels are high or whether they're low. And for that to happen, you have to have planning in place, and everyone has to be well-informed about what that future may look like. And can we, can we back up for a couple minutes and just talk about climate change generally? And for, for people who maybe this, and, you know, it's been obviously a topic of conversation for probably decades now, but, you know, a lot of people still haven't come around to understand kind of what it is, what it looks like, what the impacts could have. Like, how is that related? How is it related to what they're seeing here in their park in Erie? Sure. I know that's a huge question. I'll let you speak to the park, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the overall water budget of the Great Lakes, most of the water that is in the Great Lakes was deposited here during the Ice Age. Mm-hmm. When the glaciers melted, mm-hmm. 99% of the water that's in the Great Lakes was, was put there then. And only 1% of it is renewable on an annual basis. Um, so how does that renewable uh, portion of the water budget um, affect us? Well, if we have more uh, precipitation, rain, snow, or the storage of that precipitation, like in deep winter when we have extreme snow events and then big melts, that contributes to more water inside the lakes. It makes the lake levels go up. Um, and, and so what we've seen over the last roughly 20 to 25 years is an increasing trend across the Great Lakes, especially in the Lake Erie Western Basin, where they are getting more precipitation, they are getting uh, more extreme events, which they're getting that, that precipitation over a shorter duration. 
Um, and, and so it's contributing to more water going down the streams and into the lakes. And the, and the, the rising temperatures have something to do with that. Can you talk about, uh, we are one of the warmest, uh, fastest warming areas, I think, in the country? We are. Erie is in that? the top 10 of fastest warming places in the United States, the continental United States. And, um, and so how, how does that affect a, a, an overall system that, such as the Great Lakes itself right. or just one, one small portion of it? Um, but what, what that does affect is the evaporation of water out of the lakes okay. um, and then eventually the, it falling back down into the basin okay. uh, with, with more. So that's one way it does affect it. And from a park perspective, I mean, some of the kind of effects that we'll see out of climate change is, is like Tim talked about, those those more kind of heavy, sudden, extreme events that yes. happen, storms that, that come in, um, and, 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 and that plays into lots of other factors that are kind of happening at the time, too. I mean, having a, a big thunderstorm roll through that, that dumps a bunch of precipitation in a low water year won't affect us as much as it will today because we have this accumulation of high water in, in Lake, the Lake Erie Basin here to where when that storm rolls through and dumps two inches of rain where it, it you know, before it made it, might have taken, you know, a good 48 hour storm to dump that much, it dumps that amount in six hours. The associated winds and lightning that go with that have an effect on that cumulative water as well. I mean, we have saw this year with the water levels being so high that we've had to close down different sections of the park because of just the wind-driven waves that come along with those storms. When that water's so high the and, and you're right at the edge of some mm -hmm. of your infrastructure, I mean, we've had to close roadways down. We've had to close sections of the multi-purpose trail. Like I said, rentable facilities, pavilions, and shelters down. Um, just because of having those big strong storm events that roll through that are going to blow 30, 35 miles an hour, that's going to raise the, the, the water level up cumulatively too um, to where it's overtopping a lot of the, the infrastructure of the park. I'm curious what public response you got to some of those situations and also what would be helpful for you to have the public understand we can do certain things and, and probably one of the best things we can do long term is education. Okay. Getting people to understand, uh, like Tim talked about, we're in a system of the Great Lakes. It's not just its own unique piece. It's it's part of a much bigger system and, and how that system works. You know, when you talk to a lot of people, a lot of people know the immensity of Lake Erie, but, sure. but they don't quite understand too that it's part of that larger system that when Superior is high and Huron is high and Michigan is high, we're going to see that water. We're gonna, that water's coming to us at some point uh, because we're part of that system. And, and how big that watershed is that we're talking about for the Great Lakes is is is, is such a huge thing that, that people need to understand. It's not just the rain here that falls in Erie County or this region that's affecting right. us. It's rain that's falling in Canada, in Wisconsin, and Michigan, all over the place that really is coming to affect us at some point um, in that system. Uh, so education is a big thing that we can do um, to get people to understand, you know, kind of the, the, the ramifications of weather, not just here, but all over the place. Another thing we can do is uh, uh, notifications. Yes. When we have storm events or we have facility closures or those type of things. Um, and just get the general public to understand that there may be times um, during these high water years where certain parts of the park need to be closed for certain things. Um, a good example of that 
it's not just from the roadway perspective of if we have water over top of the roadway, it's not safe to get vehicles through there. Um, but we've had um, a, a vast majority of our trail system closed this year. Right. Um, can people get out there and hike in knee-deep water? Sure, they can. But at that same time, um, the damage it does to those resource, natural resources Correct. in that section is, uh, is much higher um, when we have that standing water on those trails than it is when those are nice, dry, compacted trails that people can kind of be really light on the land. It does a lot to damage those trails. So right. there's, there's, I guess, not some not so prevalent of things that you, that you that we need to message a little bit better and need to educate the general public on a little bit more um, because really by having those trails closed or, or having roadways closed in those sections, it's really helping, it, it, it's really having the general public help us protect their park for a long period of time. Right. Um, and and it, it's never fun to come down to the park and you know, we're gonna go out to, let's say we're gonna go hike um, sidewalk trail today. You know, we wanna go from the lighthouse all the way over to, to Misery Bay and you can't get through there that day. Nobody wants to, you know, come out here and say, oh, we can't really do what we want to do today. But but the long-term effects of, of some of those activities long-term in these kind of high water years or potentially low water years at some point uh, for other activities really have a long-term effect on the mm-hmm. park. So getting the public to understand that is probably the biggest thing we can do um, to help affect um, how that uh, how we can protect the park long-term. You know, you had mentioned how we're part of a larger system. And it's, it's true. And, and Oftentimes, the public might think that we're able to manage the water levels in Lake Erie. And in fact, there's only two control, stru- control right. structures on the Great Lakes. There's one that comes at, the, at where the, the Lake Superior empties into uh, Lake Huron in Michigan. And then there's one that, uh, at the very end of Lake Ontario that helps manage the St. Lawrence Seaway water levels for shipping. Um, both of those structures are managed by the International Joint Commission, okay. which is an international entity that, that was formed uh, by the Boundary Waters Treaty of 1909. Mm-hmm. But it's their responsibility to manage these structures. The thing to know about that is, though, is that Mother Nature doesn't like to be managed. Mm-hmm. And um, even though we have those structures um, and there is an entity that's responsible for managing those, it's not always able to compensate for the amount of rainfall that happens within a basin or the amount of snowfall that happens. Um, another thing that uh, many people don't know is there's no structures on Lake Erie that would help us manage anything. It's right. a natural functioning system um, hydraulically as a Great Lake. Right. The water comes unimpeded from uh, Lake Huron and leaves uh, through the Niagara River. And, um, and so, in some ways, that's uh, very comforting for, for people because we don't have the stress of trying to manage an unmanageable Correct. system. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't widen Niagara Falls. <laughs> no. <laughs> Make the drain a little bigger. Right. No. <laughs> well, and from a uh. perspective to that point, you know, Presque Isle is a, a national natural landmark. And to be able to have, you know, be able to be in a system that is more naturally kind of managed, managed through the forces of nature, really plays very well to that overall management of Prescott State Park as well. Um, like, like we talked about when we were at, down at Leo's Landing a little bit, the, the high water is not all bad. I mean, high water is kind of 
putting the the peninsula through evolutionary changes again mm -hmm. you know as mm -hmm. water gets into seed bank that it hasn't been in for the past 20 years we're seeing new things sprout up in different areas that we haven't seen sprout up in a long time so it's just a part of that kind of continuing natural evolutionary process that it goes through uh, and in and a lot of times people don't like change and people don't like to see this area looks different than it used to but that's one of the probably the most unique and beautiful things about Prescott is that is always right. changing right and people can witness that more like Tim said more acutely and I say more in real time because it, it being on the lake that peninsula things affect it so much more it happens at a much faster rate people have the ability to see that in a much more real-time kind of thing which is a unique experience really for any of our state parks across Pennsylvania things are happening much faster here than they are in other state parks because of that mm -hmm. change in the peninsula one thing I wanted to touch on how how vulnerable is the piece of land keeping it a peninsula and preventing it from becoming an island i mean is that something when you're looking at your long-range planning are, are you either planning for that or concerned about that or mitigating against that um or it, is it i don't know what's been done to that over the years that would keep it stable so the neck of the peninsula yeah. where the, the 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 two lane inbound and two lane outbound yeah. has been has been engineered multiple times. There's been multiple levels of engineering that's been done on that to, to, to combat the breaches that have happened historically over Correct. the years. Um, I would say at this point, um, given kind of where we are water level-wise, we're not extremely concerned at that point. We're not so much concerned a, a, about a breach because it's pretty heavily protected. There is a seawall that is in basically from... Oh, close to the condo area that okay. goes all the way to Beach 6 to okay. protect well, on the lakefront side. I didn't realize that. Okay. Uh, and you can see parts of that if yeah. you go into the Beach 6 parking lot mm -hmm. and, and just get out of your car there and hike along the shoreline um, to the west, you'll see that that rock wall there gets exposed pretty regularly. Okay. That beach there gets um, used by um, us and the Corps of Engineers as a feeder beach for sand, knowing that that beach is going to, or that sand is going to erode out of there and move into the system. We put lots of sand in that area, covering up that wall every year, and okay. it usually gets exposed again. Um, the one thing that is a little bit concerning is the level of water. This year, we've had levels of water where it's come up over the multi-purpose trail in that section and mm -hmm. been pretty close to the roadway. Mm -hmm. um, if we continue that kind of upward trend of water into there, um, that is a concern of how we're going to get people on and off the peninsula um, once we get up to that roadway level. Um, and... I don't know that there's a magic bullet kind of answer to this one. Um, that, that if the water level kind of goes up, I would say in relation to last year, as much as it did this next year, we're going to run into some real problems next year getting mm -hmm. vehicles on and off the peninsula. Wow. Um, sticking with uh, effects on the peninsula, and you'd mentioned concerns about sort of native species, I guess. I'm not sure if that's the proper term for it. Um, are you seeing anything impacted yet, I guess? And what are some of the, the species that you would be identifying as, you know, of concern or? Well, I, I would say that Presque Isle, you know, the 3,200 acres of Presque Isle is uh, a, an enormous seed bank. And there's lots of different native species um, and quite honestly invasive species in that seed bank. Um, with this high water level, it has um, helped us in areas and hurt us in certain areas. It's helped us in a way that 
certain species that have kind of been kind of drowned out uh, because of the high water levels, it's helped us kind of get rid of certain species in certain areas. Now, Presque Isle is home to over 80 different rare, threatened, endangered species um, on the peninsula itself. That we're talking plants and animals, or plant plants, 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 plants right yeah. now. Okay. Um, that with this high water, we are seeing some of those species start to pop up in different areas. Interesting. Not necessarily that we haven't seen on the park for a long time, but in different areas where we have not normally seen hmm. them. Uh, because just that part of the seed bank is getting water again and they're starting to sprout. Now, one of the, the, the benefits to having high water um, that we've been able to take advantage of is that in our fight against invasive species in back in some of the lagoons area and some of those pond areas, is with the high water we've been able to get boats and um, treatment equipment back into areas where we haven't been able to get for a number of years because of low water level to treat some of those evasives like Phragmites and narrowleaf cattail that are hard to get to because they're in such thick clumps and thick big giant areas. Uh, we've been able to get into those areas mm. because of the high water level to treat much more than we normally would mm. if we were at lower water level because of just the thickness of, of how those things grow. So. There's, it's been beneficial in a way to have this high water because of the, the efforts from our um, Great Lakes Restoration Initiative funding that we use to fight invasive species on mm -hmm. here. The, the, the high water level has really kind of given us a, a little bit of an upper hand on that hmm. to be able to get to areas where we normally just couldn't, couldn't get to. So it's a huge birding destination. Any, anything impacting the, the, the Presque Isle Way Station? <laughs> Well, I would say um, generally we haven't seen an impact okay. at this point. Um, where it has impacted a little bit, and, and I'd say it, I guess the threat of impact is there. Okay. And that's for piping plover. Oh, boy. Piping plover are that kind of sandbar, cobble nesting uh, species that, you know, we just, as of three years ago, started getting nesting pairs again. They're very vulnerable to storms as storms come in. Out on Gull Point, it's pretty low-lying, yep. flat sandbar out there. And where they choose to nest is kind of vulnerable to those heavy storm events. Uh, we saw it, I believe it was the first year when we had a nesting pair out there um, where our, uh, our partners at the Game Commission kind of activated one day on a storm, came in, scooped eggs out of the water, mm -hmm. got them incubated up in Michigan, and those piping plover are in the system now. Um, so I would say probably shorebirds um, with these high water okay. levels are more, I would say, more um, at, a, at a risk because of um, being at this high water level. It doesn't take much for a storm to kick up, you know, the water level. We've seen it kick up anywhere from six inches to two feet. Um, for a in, single storm. For a single storm wow. event. So um, that really is probably the most impactful uh, thing that's happening to the birds at this point. Mammals? Um, they're pretty resilient and like they kind of adjust. The <laughs> they adjust. I mean, we still have high areas on the park. I mean, yeah. I mean you know, it just in the evolution of Presque Isle, those, we have sand ridges that have been formed from storms, you know, hundreds of years ago, and they can migrate into those areas and, and, and really adapt fairly well okay. um, with the high water levels. Uh, we haven't really got to a point where we've noticed uh, any real impact to the to mammals at this point, um, but again, we're we're on this kind of steady increase, and we haven't seen you know we've, we're on what this is now the fourth year of kind of higher the normal water levels. So at this point, I would say we haven't noticed any. 
So in addition to the ecological value that the park holds, which is immense and really can't be measured, it also is a huge economic engine for this entire region. And how, how much is that on, on policymakers' radars or planners' radars? And can anything be done to any, mitigate any potential losses there or finesse losses there? I'd say from the park perspective, I mean, that's always part of the conversation. We, we know we're, we're, we're going to be seeing 4 million, give or take, visitors annually, regardless of what the water level is, so you think that, what the temperature is, okay. that kind of thing. So we're always thinking and planning about how we can accommodate those numbers in a way that is least impactful on the natural resources okay. of the park, which is which has brought us to this climate change adaptation mitigation plan okay. to kind of look at that broad range of different impacts that there may be. Uh, one of those impacts um, that we pointed out in our early stages of planning is kind of a longer summer season potentially. True. As yeah. gradual warming happens, we're going to look we're going to be looking at a, a longer season, and we've made small adjustments to the operation by having extended swim two weekends after. Oh, okay. Um, a Labor Day, where we traditionally had closed after Labor Day, no more swimming because it's the the temperatures are nice, people are coming out, they're going to be out here regardless, and it's much easier for us to, to make operational changes if possible to accommodate uh, that recreational use rather than try to stop people from getting in the water just because we've decided Labor Day is the end. Day. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of those things are going to be, and swimming is just one of those things, other ones are, are going to be people coming out here um, using the multi-purpose trail for longer in the year, that, those type of things. So there's lots of impacts, I think, that we're, we're trying to uh, potentially identify and how we can make those adjustments long-term. Traditionally, state parks is a very seasonal in Correct. nature yeah. operation. Mm -hmm. majority of our staff is seasonal. That comes on in the springtime and gets laid off in the fall, um, while core staff stays on year-round to maintain the facilities. Um, we're looking at how that potential impact is to the whole system of state parks across the Commonwealth because if we have seasonal employees that can work up to nine months, that's going to change how we're doing business long term if those main recreational seasons get stretched out longer than really that May through September and we start getting much more much, many more people coming out we have to be able to clean bathrooms for longer we have to be able to maintain facilities for longer but we also have to think about resource protection for longer too because traditionally it's a Memorial Day to Labor Day system that we operate in state parks and those numbers drastically drop off after kids go back to school. Mm -hmm. If those numbers don't drastically drop off, we have to think about resource management in a different way too because if we start seeing those numbers climb in September and October and November timeframe, we really have to think about how we're protecting the natural resources during those times. That's, you know, that's a really good point and the economic uh, impact of high water levels expands even beyond what the recreational aspects of Presque Isle uh, are. When you have high water levels, the, the prevailing geologic feature along the Pennsylvania lakeshore is bluffs, lakeshore bluffs. Right. And so when you have higher water levels, it decreases uh, the distance between the end of the water and where the beginning of the bluffs are. And when you have high wind events, like what we were talking about, that wave action can then start eating away at the base of the bluffs, which starts uh, a years-long process that then eventually erodes the bluff and recedes it. 
and there are many, many, many pro uh, properties that are along the lakeshore well, yeah, uh, bluff system, and that definitely affects not only um, their public proper the property as well as public property like the lake uh, Lake Erie uh, Bluffs, Erie Bluffs mm -hmm. uh, Park. Um, and, and so it, and it affects people's lives, too, mm -hmm. where we've seen um, structures collapse into the lake. Uh, is, I guess, our state budgeting and policy up to this task at this point? Like, what, what, what would help the most? I think the, the conversation that needs to happen among the Erie region it really needs to happen starting at the state level okay. with input from the federal government who has a lot of resources. Uh, some of those federal agencies have been looking at climate change and how we uh, deal with not only community resiliency but coastal resiliency for a long time. And we need to ignite that conversation mm -hmm. um, with uh, the local leaders who are on the municipal level. And this type of planning, this resiliency planning, not only is for um, the recreation on natural, natural aspects like, like um, Presque Isle State Park, but for our water and wastewater infrastructure, our stormwater infrastructure, and these are big ticket, mm -hmm. expensive items that mm -hmm. if we don't plan properly for, can cost us a great deal mm -hmm. in the future. And the algal blooms play into that. We didn't talk about that either, but... So the algal um, blooms definitely play into the increase mm -hmm. in precipitation that we've seen, mm -hmm. as well as the increase in temperatures, mm -hmm. air temperatures that we've seen. So with those uh, very short duration, uh, high intensity precipitation events, most of the, the algal blooms feed off of nutrients, phosphorus and nitrogen. And the largest source of those are agriculture. And so when you have these big storm events, they wash off those nutrients into waterways and then into the lake. And when you have a warmer body of water with more nutrients, it grows plants very well. And so um, it grows algae and it grows uh, cyanobacteria, mm -hmm. blue green algae, uh, that, that contribute to harmful algal blooms. Mm -hmm. um, so if your average per member of the public is concerned about these things and, and wants to do something on an individual level, um, either to learn more or to make changes in their own habits that may contribute to the warming planet. Um, what would some advice be? Um, I, I would say, and, and, and this is something that we, that we try to do um, throughout DCNR, and that is um, attend some of our programs, workshop, where we talk about things you can do within your own home or your own daily lives um, to reduce your carbon footprint, to, 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 to make sure you have recycling kind of in your daily practices, make sure that um, you're utilizing um, alternative modes of transportation when you can. If you can bike somewhere, hmm. bike somewhere. It's good for you and it's good for the environment. Um, uh, those type of things like um, some of the things we've, we're, we're working on this facility and that is energy reduction measures, whether it's through uh, our heating and cooling system in here or whether it's through use of LED light fixtures uh, to reduce the need for energy. All that kind of contributes to this larger um, uh, issue of, of climate change. Um, with this too, I think there's lots of, I think, just general perception things that, that, that through education we can get to the general public of, of 
how they interact with the park and that is just the park is always changing mm -hmm. and it may not be exactly like it was or even open in certain areas like it was all the time and we'll, we do everything we can to keep the park open as much as we possibly can but when we have a closed section of the park it's for a, for a really big reason whether it is to protect the resources that are in that that section of the park or it's to protect the general public um, from potentially harmful or, or safety issues there may be there. Um, I'm just thinking back to this past year where we had uh, uh, a storm event in February where we had a raise in the water level which busted a bunch of ice and um, it ended up moving a bunch of docks in the marina area and raising them up over the pilings and creating some unsafe uh, situations in there where lots of guys like to go out and fish on the docks in the wintertime because we have bubblers out there hmm. that keep the ice away from some of the docks. The fishing is really good around there and we like to provide that opportunity. Um, but certain times of the year we have to close things for certain things. And uh, it, like I said, it's not always the, the the best scenario to come out to the park and want to do a recreational activity. But just to, to heed those warnings and heed those closures because we're going to keep everything open as best we possibly can. Um, but if we close an area, it's for a, for a very good reason, whether it's protect that resource um, because of potential damage to the resource or for a public safety reason because we don't want, you know, the last thing we want to do is put people in harm's way when they're out here. Mm -hmm. um, so, so those are some things I think that people can generally kind of take away from uh, things that they can do and things and how they interact with some of the places. Mm -hmm. And that goes to the, the next level when you start thinking about how does uh, the Commonwealth plan mm -hmm. for the future and our impacts on climate. And uh, in 2018, um, Pennsylvania DEP came out with the Pennsylvania Climate Action Plan. Mm -hmm. And there are a multitude of things that we can do from a policy level and a statutory level and a regulatory level that could help, you know, reduce our impacts on uh, climate change and the contribution of, uh, you know, the types of climate, types of pollutants that, that we, we see. And one of the biggest ones is the generation, delivery, and the consumption of electricity. Hmm. And, you know, as we see uh, parity in prices for things like renewable sources of energy, like wind and solar, um, we're going to see that gradual uh, uh, transformation into um, instead of someone just getting a brand new roof, they're going to consider seriously about um, putting on solar on their house. Um, we're going to start seeing um, greater emphasis on wind generation and some of those places that are, are capable of generating large amount of electricity from wind. And so as we move away from fossil fuels, we're going to see uh, uh, greater reductions uh, with our, our, our the climate types of pollutants that we see currently. Are you optimistic about that? I am. Mm -hmm. I think not only are we seeing it on a policy level, but we're seeing it on an economic level. And okay. that's really where the change needs to happen. Right. Um, when a consumer considers anything, right. they consider the price of it um, right in there with whether or not they have moral objections or, or whether or not they, they really want to do something. Um, and as you see the parity in prices between the different uh, generation of electricity happen, um, you're going to see that movement towards towards solar renewables and, and wind. To the point where you, you, for a long time now in state parks, we've been putting these demonstration projects in to kind of, you know, espouse the, the benefits of some of this stuff. It's, it's to the point now, like Tim referenced, where it's really making a lot of sense for us. We're not just talking about, okay, let's put in a 10 kilowatt solar array because it's a good educational experience for the general public. We're also saying, well, look at the return on uh, 
uh, investment here, it's actually going to be pretty good to the point where one of the processes we're going through within the western uh, part of the state in our western region is the Guaranteed Energy Savings Act um, program where we are converting a lot of things within our state parks um, to, uh, uh, to a program where we get guaranteed energy savings long term, where a contractor comes in, gives us an evaluation of our facilities, makes those recommendations and adjustments to what we do, like LED lighting's in the building, like some of the HVAC um, components to the building, then they're guaranteeing that energy savings over a long period of time for us because, quite honestly, it's going to be a huge impact financially to us long term uh, with us. So it's not just a, hey, let's put in a... Um, a windmill because it'd be a great educational experience regardless of the cost it's actual look we're going to save some money long term for the commonwealth and be able to put that back into our operation at another level so that that's really kind of shifted i would say in the past five years to a point where we're really looking at projects long term on how do we get to net zero and how do we get there in a way that is going to be able to put money back into our budget for those other things we need it to be for Anything else about this subject that I didn't bring up that, you know, you really would like the public to understand or? I would say from, from my perspective from the park side, um, with, in regards to high water, always the, the things that, that, that keep us in constant conversation internally, um, that, that always are on the back of our mind is public safety. Yeah. You know, having the responsibility of 4 million visitors on Presque Isle State Park uh, every year, public safety is always going to come up to the top of the list right. of how do we protect the general public? How do we protect the, 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 the visitors from the resources? How do we protect the resources from the visitors? And how do we protect the visitors from the visitors is our kind of three big things <laughs> that we true. deal with in state parks. And, and how do we plan for those things, whether it's um, uh, in working with cons in concert and partnership with Department of the Homeland Security on assessments of the park, assessments of our operation long term, um, uh, all the way to the climate change adaptation mitigation planning for specific park functions and facilities long term. The, the public safety component is really the big one. And mm -hmm. How do we make sure we can still provide that uh, as per our mission, our healthful outdoor recreational opportunities for everybody on the state park? Uh, it's hard to do when um, our facilities can't handle some of what Mother, Mother Nature is throwing at it. Yep. Um, we can't fix it all by changing the facilities, though. Some of it is we have to change kind of how we interact with Mother Nature and on the park long-term, too. And that's a tough process because you're talking about culture at that point. You're talking about cultural use at that point. Mm -hmm. So that's a hard one to deal with, and probably the best thing we can do for that is education to get people to understand um, I always just, you know, when I started in state parks, someone had, you know, given me the example of when I started as a law enforcement ranger. A lot of times you're going around talking to folks and saying, you know, hey, please don't cut that branch off of that tree. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that at your house it may be the thing to do to sharpen the end of the stick, get a roast a hot dog over the fire with that stick. But imagine if every one of the four million visitors cut one of the sticks off of that tree. You know, it's 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 those kind of relatable examples that we can give people um, within their own daily lives that they can kind of, oh, okay, I get it now. I know why we don't, we shouldn't be launching kayaks from this area, you know, because if 
if, if 500,000 people launch kayaks from this area, then this native bulrush may not be able to be here anymore. Kind of hmm. We give those kind of educational examples. I think they're very impactful um, and can help people understand better why they need to modify kind of some of their use long term. Um, one of the great examples on Presque Isle of, of, of of, of kind of modified use was that road that went along the front of the lighthouse long term. It was mm-hmm. on the beachfront side. It was just unsustainable. And for many years, people used that <laughs> roadway there. And it was a great part of Prescott to be able to come down and drive on the lake side of the, you know, right along the beach and go there. It's just not sustainable long term. So there are some of those things that we'll probably go through over the next five years, 10 years, 25 years uh, that have to be modified uses of the park, uh, dealing with the, um, the, the different things in weather and climate that we have to deal with. Um, but those are really the hard ones to deal with because they're modifying cultural use. Um, and uh, like I said, I think the, the way we can best do that is through just having conversations with the general public and having that education to say, hey, look, you know, we love this peninsula like you love this peninsula, and we all want the same thing here. We want this to be here for the next 100, 200, 500 years so that all of our ancestors can be able to enjoy this great natural resource. How can we best protect it mm-hmm. together long term? And I think from, you know, from a governance standpoint, oftentimes um, governmental agencies, whether they're federal or state or local, are often reactionary. Yeah. Uh, to issues, you know, how do we transcend that? How do we become mm-hmm. more visionary um, and use planning to 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 help serve our future needs? Um, not only just over the next year, we're talking definitely decades from now, um, and how the things that we do now will help affect, um, hopefully in a good way, uh, the future generations who get to experience Presque Isle or any of our resources. One thing I will mention is that on the topic of high water levels, yeah. um, Pennsylvania DEP's Office of the Great Lakes coordinates with uh, Pennsylvania Sea Grant um, right. to conduct a semi-annual Lake Erie Environmental Forum where the public, uh, anyone is invited uh, to, to come and learn about Great Lakes issues. And the upcoming meeting will be held on October 29th here at the Tom Ridge Environmental Center in Erie. Um, it will be from 1 uh, p.m. to 4 p.m. And the special focus topic of this meeting will be high water levels. Oh, really? And so we will okay. be having experts come in from uh, the University of Michigan. Hmm. And uh, hopefully to be determined yet, but I, I think the, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And then we're also going to have Pennsylvania's Coastal Resource Management Program to talk about coastal resiliency and the types of things we can do here in Pennsylvania that relate to Lake Erie. Well, very timely. On, on to the, the, the fact of specifically high water, we just want to make sure that the, the general public knows that, that, that Prescott is 3,200 acres. It's a big park. Right. Um, and, and quite honestly, it's part of a park complex with Erie Bluff State Park, right. Tom Ridge Environmental Center, and uh, in the peninsula itself. Um, during these high water times, we are going to have to close certain areas for different reasons. Um, 
uh, because of the, the, the way that the high water is impacting those areas. We just ask that the public be understanding in the fact that it is a large park. There are other areas. And one of the great parts about Presque Isle is the fact that if there is an issue at a beach, there's lots of other beaches for people to go to. You know, And we'll, we'll be very cognizant about when we, when we have to close areas to the public, right. being able to give those other options for people, other areas where in the park where they can go do very similar things. Um, very rarely is there a time where we have to close something down and it's usually when we have to close the whole park down where there's not another option. There are always all those other options across mm -hmm. the park or at Erie Bluff State Park mm -hmm. that people can do those kind of activities uh, while we need to do those temporary closures. Because we will get things open as quickly as we possibly can. We want people to be here as much yes. as possible because the way that we can best protect Prescott State Park, Erie Bluff State Park, long term is by getting people here and getting them connected with the resources, mm -hmm. seeing the benefit of those resources and making some sort of connection with parts of the park or the whole park in general. Um, so we will do everything we can to make sure that we can keep everything open as much as we possibly can, obviously taking into account visitor safety. Well, thank you very much. Sure, you're welcome. Lots of good information. We appreciate it.